0: Good morning and good to see you here for this hour of worship. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here and hope that you'll return on many future occasions to worship with us. I want to bring you up to date on some of our sick folks. Um, Woody Melton had a difficult week following his uh, very bad heart attack, but he is in a regular room now, which is a good step forward, 44 something, I'm wanting to say 18, but it may be wrong, but anyway, it's in the main hospital now, so that is that is real good news, um, because of his continuing hospitalization, I'm not sure when you're going to get a bulletin in the mail, um, all mistakes today came from my fingertips, so if you find any mistypes, you'll you'll notice that's where it came from, Um The bulletin is always up on our Greer Church website. When we get it published, um, Adam puts it up on the website, so you can always see it there. Also, it's printed and available here at the church toward the end of the week. So if we don't get it in the mail and you happen to have to have one in your hands before Sunday, you're welcome to come by and pick one up during the week. Uh, But we will be hoping to see June able to return to us in the very near future. Dan Sims is making progress now in his recovery. Martha Leonard is at um, Pelham Hospital with pneumonia. And Margaret Williams is also improving in her condition. And if you have not heard so far, there is a new little Methodist among us. Uh, Lee and Marnie Dumas had a little girl on uh, Thursday afternoon, 10 pounds and 6 ounces, the child came with a diploma. <laughs> so we're, we rejoice with these folks who are being blessed in these days with uh, gifts of life. We'll have some more words for you in a few moments regarding next week, um, joint service. But the main thing I want to emphasize is that two things. One is George Strait is the preacher, and you don't want to miss those opportunities good opportunities to hear George and secondly our service combined with the early service will be at 10 o'clock which will give us time to uh, get over and have our big meal together next Sunday morning our Thanksgiving meal so um, plan to be here at 10 o'clock next Sunday morning in this place for this hour of worship and plan to stay and enjoy turkey dinner so we look forward to that Let us now begin our time together in worship. Affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881. Let us affirm our faith in God. I believe in God, God the Father God Almighty, Almighty, Maker of
1: heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only
0: Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin
1: Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and was crucified, dead and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He has sinned in heaven, and has at the right hand of God the Father Almighty.
0: From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in
1: the Holy Spirit,
0: the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. This time we'd like to invite the children to come forward to join... Amy Kynard for a few moments of sharing.
2: good morning. This morning I want to talk to you about something that the whole congregation is going to hear about after Children's Church. It's called stewardship. Does anybody know what stewardship means? It's a big word. Stewardship means taking care of your church and and there are lots of parts of taking care of the church. There's taking care of the building and taking care of the people and taking care of the people that the church serves outside of our church. And that's a gift. So I want to talk a little bit about the gift that God gave us. The first gift, or the biggest gift that God gives us is love. So I'm going to fold my paper. What letter is this? L. Okay, L stands for the love that God gives us. And the way that we show love back to God is by taking care of His church. And the biggest gift He gave us in love is Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins, so that was a huge gift. And he died on He died on a cross. Now what letter does this make you think of? This makes you think of the letter T. Okay, I want to read the gospel. In Luke 6, verses 37 and 38, it says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And what that means is that when you give something, God gives it back to you. So with this T, I want you to think of the things that you're supposed to give back to the church as your gift back to the church. T stands for time. So when you come up here on Sunday morning or when you go to the activities that the church has for children, that's giving your time. T also stands for talent. How many of you are going to sing in the Christmas program? Okay, that's a talent. That's a gift that God has given to you. And you're going to give it back to God by singing for the congregation and singing in the Christmas program. So you give your time and your talent. How many of you give money to the church? Okay. That's called your tithe. And that's where you give a tenth back of what God has given to you. So when I was a little girl, they talked about giving your time and your talent and your tithe. And that's three T's. But I thought of two more. How many of you are thankful for things? I am. In fact, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving pretty soon. Thanksgiving starts with a T. So we need to be thankful. And how many of you talk to God? When you pray, you talk to God. So that's another T word. So you give your time, your talent, your tithing, and you talk and you give thanksgiving. So when you look at the cross, I want you to think of the gifts that God gave us and the gifts that you can give back. Let's pray. Let's talk to God right now. Bow your heads, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these children and thank you for this opportunity to share with them so that they can learn more and share with others and share with our church. These things we ask in God's holy name. In Jesus' holy name, amen.
0: This time, we'd like to call on our stewardship uh, and finance chairperson, Bill Clute, who I believe is also our speaker this morning.
3: As Arthur was saying, next week is our Consecration Sunday. Here in this sanctuary at 10 a.m., just one service, we'll be making our pledges to. God, and our church for 2011. These pledges are very important as we prepare our budget for next year. Immediately following the service, we will have a catered meal in the Family Life Center. So that we can be properly prepared for that, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward now with reservation cards for anyone who needs them. If the ushers could come forward with those cards now. If you would, if you haven't filled one out already, just complete it and put it in the offering plate. In the weeks preceding Consecration Sunday, we've had members of the congregation come forward and tell what stewardship means to them. We had Adam Wycliffe came forward and did a great job. Last week, Harriet Strait did a great job. I'm very thankful for uh, their time and effort. Serving on the Finance Committee is a real eye-opener to what it takes to keep the church running. Financially, we must pay the electric bills, pay to keep the buildings and worship materials, materials properly maintained, and pay the staff. In addition to that, we have contributions towards charities and missions. More important than the money, though, is the people. A lot of what gets done in the church is done by people that have volunteered their time and talents with no expectations or desire to get something in return. In the end, though, these people are the ones that probably receive the biggest blessings. There's a common idea in most aspects of life, such as jobs, school, and relationships, that you get out of it what you put into it. That idea is also true with church. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9.6 that the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. On this church, we don't preach that any guarantees that you'll get back more than you give. Unlike some popular churches, we don't preach that you should give in order to get. This church preaches that we should give simply out of our love for God. Any blessing we receive is just icing on the cake. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians saying, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. As you prepare to make your pledge next week, I'm asking that you think about and pray about what you can give, not based on what you think the church needs and not based on any feeling of obligation, but as an act of worship based on your love for God. If we all do that, I think everything else will fall in place.
0: I told the other congregation that Bill is probably best known for inventing that great dance, the, the boot, clute, and boogie. That's what they did, too. They didn't laugh out there either. Our um, Old Testament lesson is from the book of Malachi, verse three, or rather chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for, before me. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? You can stand, who can stand when he appears? for he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former days. Here ends the reading. Our responsive reading is Psalm 67 on page uh, 791. I invite you to stand as you are able, as we share God's word together responsively. O God, be gracious to us and bless us, and make your face to shine upon us. That your way may be known upon
1: earth, your saving power,
0: Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing with joy. For you judge the peoples with
1: equity and guide the nations upon
0: earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has
1: yielded its increase. God,
0: our God, has blessed us. God has blessed us. Let all the Epistle reading from uh, 2 Corinthians is the background for today's sermon, so I invite your uh, careful hearing of the epistle lesson today. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were not only the first to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what is needed, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Here ends the lesson. together for a time of prayer. Lord, we are truly thankful for many opportunities to be in service in your name. How wonderful it is to be able to give from our hearts to assist others in the world and to share in the good news of your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that there's always a need there. There's always a country where there has been a catastrophe. There's always a a land where missionaries are needed to go and teach. Sometimes it seems that the needs are so great and the resources are so few But forgive us when we become clingy and to grab on to things that we think belong just to us when you have reminded us that all that we have really is yours and you have entrusted things into our hands that we might be a blessing to others. With this in mind, Lord, give us opportunities during this blessed season which is coming upon us to remember those who are going through difficult days in their lives. Lord, some of us are going through difficult days, too. And yet we can look around us and always find someone who is needier than we are, lonelier than we are, sadder than we are. And you call us to go to these and give of ourselves to our brothers and sisters in the world. Help us, Lord, to be eager to give to our neighbors. We're thankful that Jesus was eager to come here to earth to reveal God to us, and that even at the end of his life, when he was staring at a cross... He spoke about his joy because he knew what he was about to do in giving of himself completely for us. We're thankful, Lord, that Jesus was willing to be made poor so that we might share in heaven's blessings. And for this, we are truly grateful. Our hearts go out to those in our community and in our church where there is sickness or grief or loneliness. And we embrace them in our prayers and ask that you would embrace them, O Lord, in your heart and in your hands and bring them comfort and healing. As we pray the prayer that our Lord taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be be thy name. Thy kingdom come. to time I get past notes from the choir. Sometimes I know what they mean. Got one today, said community thanksgiving service next Sunday at seven o'clock. So that was, I thought, well, remind you all of that, that we're having a community thanksgiving service here uh, next Sunday night with um, Reverend uh, the priest Snatterly, Reverend Snatterly from the Episcopal Church preaching. And then somebody in the choir said, read the inside And there's a note that says, did you see J and K come in? Well, I don't know who J and K, and then I realized, oh, that's my son and daughter-in-law, John and Kylie, (laughs) back here, so that means I don't get sandwiches for lunch, we'll go out, so that's good, good good to have you folks here. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 37 and 38. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here ends the lesson. Someone has said that the only exercise that some people get is jumping to conclusions, running down friends, sidestepping responsibility, and pushing their luck. And fictional detective Charlie Chan uh, used to tell us that jumping to conclusion is like playing with wet gunpowder, both likely to go off in wrong direction And now I tell you that my sermon title is, They Jumped at the Chance to Give. So I hope you have an up-to-date encyclopedia of colloquial and idiomatic phrases to know what I'm talking about. That's the part of our language that uh, drives non-English-speaking people crazy to figure out our idiomatic phrases. But in one of Paul's letters to the church at Corinth, the one we refer to as his second letter, Paul tells us about a crisis that was going on in Judea. There was a widespread famine, and the Christians in the mother church were especially hard hit. The apostles called on churches everywhere to give a generous offering to the church in Jerusalem so that their suffering might be relieved. Paul wrote that the churches in the Macedonian area had jumped at the chance that's my translation jumped at the chance to give and that their offering was far and away more than anyone could have anticipated they gave beyond their ability to give pleading with Paul to please take their generous offering because they considered it a privilege to serve their fellow christians. There were several things about their generosity that defied all logic. First of all, the Christians in Jerusalem and the Christians in Macedonia did not like each other. It was worse than Carolina and Clemson. There was racial prejudice and tension between them. The Christians in Jerusalem were almost entirely of Hebrew origin. They still believed that you had to become a practicing member at the temple before you qualified to become a Christian. Those believers over in Macedonia were all gentiles, converts from all kinds of pagan religions. They were uncircumcised, unclean, and unrefined. More than once the Jerusalem church had tried to saddle those gentiles with rules and regulations that would have placed a very great hardship upon them. More than once, the apostles had to stand their ground in Jerusalem, saying that all those rules and regulations had not saved any of them. So, why should those same dead rules be piled on the back of the Gentiles? In reality, those Christians down in Jerusalem considered the Gentile Christians to be second class citizens of the kingdom of God and some of them didn't even consider that they were Christians at all. With all this mutual animosity, why would the Gentiles in Macedonia be so generous? Why did they jump at the chance to help their hostile neighbors? Well, Paul tells us something about that in verse 5. He says, first of all, these Gentiles gave themselves to the Lord as fully and completely as they could. That meant that they would do what Christ was calling on them to do, even if it went against their natural human instincts. Giving more of ourselves to the Lord has a way of changing our outlook on the world. Now, like many of you, I was raised in the Old South in the 50s, in the 60s. And I don't remember coming to a point where I thought my way out of the stereotypes and racial prejudices that I was raised in, but I do remember in 1968 giving myself to the Lord as completely and fully as I knew how to do. And as a result, my vision became transformed to where I suddenly saw all people as my brothers and sisters. It was Automatic. I didn't even know any African Americans back then, except for JC at the Beacon. I didn't know him very well. But my relationship with Jesus had given me new eyes. Apparently, that was true of the Macedonian Christians as well. Let's face it, we also have some animosity towards some people who call themselves Christians and some that even call themselves United Methodist Christians, some of them have some rather wacky ideas about how things ought to be. There was a time when we thought that racial inclusion was a wacky idea, which would destroy our church and our society. There was another time when we thought that ordaining women to be clergy in the Methodist church would do us all in. But we not only survived those changes, we have been blessed for taking bold steps by Christ who has called us to these new adventures. Now in the past, I've had church members who've told me that the reason they don't like to pledge and give to the church is they don't agree with all the places the money goes after it gets in the offering plate. And my response to that is, I don't agree with all the places my salary goes either. Penny spends some money I don't agree with. But I haven't stopped depositing my salary into our combined bank account and neither has she. We still pool our resources even though we don't agree about where we spend our money. You know, if we're going to live together in Christian community, then inevitably some compromise is necessary. Did you know that Money was the number one cause of divorce in America. Apparently some folks in their homes don't know how to compromise about money. But you know, I do agree with most of the places that my salary goes. Waffle House, (laughs) the clock, the beacon. And I also agree with most of the places that the money I put in the offering plate goes. But there was something else about the generosity of the Macedonian Christians that defied all logic, and that was they really didn't have it to give. They didn't have it to spare. They themselves were living in a world of hurt. Paul describes their living situation in terms of most severe, extreme poverty. But there was one thing that their own hardships had given them, And that was a love and concern for others who also were living through hardships. They had empathy. They knew what it was like to be hungry and to suffer want. And when they heard that there were some Christians who were having it even rougher than they were, they felt empathy toward their fellow sufferers and responded with a generous donation for their relief. It is almost universally acknowledged now that we are just beginning to come out of a worldwide financial crisis that hit all the nations of the world real hard back about 2007-2008. Charities and churches did fairly well in 2009, but 2010 has been another story. It has been a rough year for churches and charities. Greer Community Ministries and Greer Relief have been hit especially hard. At the end of September, at the three-quarter mark of our annual calendar, the United Methodist Churches in South Carolina had given just barely 50%, half, of the apportionments for the whole year. Here at Memorial, we're more behind than usual this time of year. You all always play catch-up in December, but you're scaring us this year. The tight financial times that we're living in and the accompanying fear have really hit churches hard this year. But in spite of this reality, we're continuing to ask you to give generously to your church. The fact of the matter is, there are people in other places who are far worse off than you and I are. Our hardship should make us feel the hardship of others around our planet even more and like the Macedonians it should make us respond in greater generosity. Several months ago the annual conference finance and administration committee told our campus ministers that that was it, they'd get their salaries but there'd be no more money coming to our college programs for programs this this school year and 2011 looked even bleaker. Don't expect any support from the churches for next year. Winthrop's Wesley Foundation, a program that my mother worked on back in the 1940s, suddenly had no money for maintenance of their wonderful building. And the air conditioning chose that moment to go out and the students were coming back to campus. Well, the conference finally found some money that was available in another place and has divided it up among our campus ministries at Winthrop, USC, Clemson, Furman, Charleston, Francis Marion, Lander, and Orangeburg. But there still is a huge question mark about next year. As we all trim our budgets where we can, we must not fail our children, youth, or our young adults in college. Their futures are determined by our support. Finally, Paul challenged the Corinthians to copy the Macedonians. The Corinthians were encouraged to compare their own generosity with that of the Macedonians. Sometimes we need something like that, a comparison to help us to see if we're giving as we should. That's one of the reasons we periodically publish a chart that shows what a 1% giving of a certain amount looks like versus a 10% amount, looks like, and we encourage people to move up a percentage point or two. We don't exactly compare ourselves to another specific giver within the church, but we do compare our own giving with that gold standard, the tithe. How close are we to that mark? Some of you are above that mark. Blessings upon you. Paul encouraged folk, to excel in their giving. And he also said that generosity is a test of love's sincerity. Therefore, he didn't command them to give, but he encouraged them to give in proportion to the love that they had for Jesus Christ. Wow! How could you uh, measure up to that? Since such generous giving needs ample inspiration, Paul pointed to Jesus' example of giving. He said that Jesus was rich, very rich. He was God's son, heir to all the wealth of heaven. I don't think anyone could question Jesus' total dedication to God and the giving of himself totally for us. He left the glory of heaven for a manger in a stable He gave up the comforts of home for the poverty of a peasant family. He sacrificed unlimited power and authority and embraced powerlessness, politically speaking at least. He gave up all human ambition and became a humble teacher. He overflowed in personal righteousness, but he gave up all of his own holiness so that he might embrace our sinfulness. He even gave up his intimacy with God. And we know that because on the cross, he cried out to what must have seemed like a very distant God, Why have you forsaken me? He was rich, but for us he became poor. And through his poverty, you and I have become incredibly rich. Now, we are heirs of God's heavenly riches that ought to inspire us to give generously. You and I ought to jump at the chance to give. Amen.